Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals uh, for our continued coverage of what are we watching? Paranoia Agent. Uh, this time we're going to be checking in with uh, episodes two and three. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. And hey, it's Ben. And we're happy to have one of our returning guests, friend of the show, and now in the room with me. Uh, <gasps> please welcome Tanya. I'm in the room where it happened. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, referencing <laughs> Hamilton. Shut it down. To say that, I think everybody's legally obligated to say that Hamilton line whenever somebody's like, we're in the room. Yeah, sure. Yep, yep. That's what it is now. When do I get a guest in the room with me? I don't know. We can't we can come figure out that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in Denver in May. So There you go. We'll meet you halfway. We'll, we'll get a hotel room. Oh, can we stay at the Shining Hotel? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is that, is that in Colorado? Yeah, it's in Denver. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah, we can absolutely. And there's some friends we can look up. You have friends? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's new with you, Tanya? How's your life going? Oh, it's great. You moved in. And it's true. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the highlight. That's that's everything to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been real great. I finished my theater season, and now I'm just kind of in between and hanging out. Is, is there sort of like a standardized theater season? Like, are there certain times of year everywhere? Or is it like theater to theater? It's theater to theater. The theater that I am on staff for, Silicon Valley Shakespeare, uh, we primarily do summer. So we do three shows a year. One is in June. And then we do the other two uh, in like late July, early August. This year, we added a fourth show of Christmas Carol. But until... You know, we pick back up with rehearsals in May. It's kind of a light thing. We'll have a fundraiser in April and like some bar Shakespeare that we do. We do this thing called Shakespeareance and we go to a bar and force bar patrons to listen to our Shakespearean ramblings. Oh, which I've heard that you're going to direct. this. Yeah. Time. Word on the street is I'm directing the Valentine's Day one. Romeo and Juliet. Gender bent, baby. Just mm-hmm. nothing says Valentine's Day like two dead teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> How did Christmas Carol go? Oh, Christmas Carol was super awesome, except for the COVID plague that broke out halfway mm. through. Oh, yeah. But we did Christmas Carol as a roving show. And so basically it was outdoors. The audience started at the hotel. And then like when Scrooge went to his office, you walked to this like old timey bank. And that's where like the Bob Cratchit in the office scenes were. And then Scrooge hmm. would get up and like go back to the hotel. Then that's where his house was. And so the audience followed him to the house. And then, Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it was a historical park that's kind of like trapped in like the early 1900s, I mm. guess. And so overall, I think the audience and the actors walk about a mile during the show. Mm. But it's cool. It's it's like roving and fun. And Alex saw it one time and I think didn't hate it. You were great. I was the ghost of Christmas <laughs> past. So I got to be all weird and creepy. And, and uh, Christmas present was also great. And yeah. the rest of it was... Very Dickensian. Very, very Dickensian. <laughs> but in the meantime, while you have some time off, I have forced you to watch some anime. You sure have. So in mm-hmm. addition to helping me out with Lane, she's watched a couple episodes of Paranoia Agent, and she's going to watch them again with us today. And we're going to have a grand old discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any news with either one of you or in the anime community or podcasting world? And is there any news in the world? <laughs> Gosh. I think nothing happened literally in the last week. <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all. That's good. That's good. That's good. 
So I guess we probably don't want to disclose your locations, right? But there were storms, at least yes. west of you, that were pretty there severe. There was a lot of storms. Yeah, we're in California, at least. So there, there are a lot of storms. Uh, we've we've gotten some drench. Uh, not too much flooding, though. Uh, LA got it real bad, and they got like... I think like one of their rivers had water in it that never has water. It's like a dry yeah. riverbed, but like water actually flowed through it. Which I think is that wild. that's just a great sentence. One of their rivers had water in it. Okay. All right. No, I, like, I know <laughs> what you're saying. It's just a fun sentence. Okay. Yeah. If, if uh, people don't know, Alex actually has like a, what is it? Intifada? What's the, the thing where the Muslim church puts out a hit on you? Oh, uh, a fatwa. fatwa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, what's an yeah. intifada? Anyway, so that's why his location has to be very secretive. Secret. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think I have a fatwa mm. because I tried to start an intifada, which I think is an uprising of some kind, but... <laughs> Not to be confused with an empanada. Yeah, which mm. is a delicious oh Mexican dish. <laughs> I want to have a hit out on me because of an empanada. Yeah, yeah there right. You go. Your empanadas were make, too good. We have to take you out. Yeah. Make one that looks like uh what's his name? Oh Muhammad, Muhammad the Prophet yeah. Muhammad, praise be to him. No yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, this is a really good start. Yeah. Muhammad themed empanadas. I'm gonna contemplate that. I'm sure no one will get mad about it. No. Uh, uh okay, hold on. This conversation need... is not a minefield at all. Really, <laughs> really nailing it. Okay, well, with that, do we want to hear about what happened last time? And then we'll we'll get to watching these two episodes. Yeah, sounds good. We'd love to hear what happened last time. Oh, my God. Can you deliver it like like you're a theater person? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, you can break into song now, too. Last time on Sukiko Dreams of Golden Bat, an old man with a penchant for math played the part of Prophet in a parking lot while graffiti predicted the appearance of our prodigal pinch hitter. Enter Sukiku Sagi, a woman with a childlike drawing style and creator of Tokyo's Hello Kitty replacement, Maromi the Pink Puppy. After a trying day of low-key artist abuse at her office, Sukiko walked home alone at night. She asked her Maromi doll for a miracle right before a strange skating sixth grader whacked her in the head with a bent baseball bat. Two bumbling bastards and a sex criminal journalist wanted Miss Sagi's story, but the public rumor mill ran ahead of them to tell and twist the tale. The detectives got a lead from an otaku and found the pervy journalist stealing Sukiko's drawing from an unhoused woman's cardboard living quarters. Meanwhile, Maromi manifested walking, talking, and encouraging Sakiko not to listen to her online detractors. Akio Kawazu, our pervy journalist, extorted Sakiko into an interview at a cafe, even looking up Sakiko's skirt just to prove how horrible he is. After relaying irrelevant information to the detectives, Sakiko was confronted by Akio again. This time at night, she wished for another miracle, and with one bat blow to the head, she was safe from Akio again. Who is Little Slugger? Could a sixth grader really be capable of such violence? Is Miss Sagi a liar sometimes? Let's find out. Very good. And if you couldn't tell, my makeup is supposed to be Maromi. I could tell. <gasps> I thought you were just going for a new look. <laughs> Blixa, I'm sure this isn't what it is, but it looks like you're eating a communion wafer right now. And that mm-hmm. makes me laugh. Crouton of Christ. I've been dating a priest, so that's... <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. I support it. <laughs> Women can't be priests. But if they're a lesbian. <laughs> and we did say two and three, right? Yeah. Yes, two and three is what we're watching. 
Uh, so whenever we're ready, Ben will count us in. All right. Three, two, one, go. Is he supposed to be coded like Ash Ketchum? <laughs> That's funny. He's less Ash and more Gary, I think, actually. Yeah, Gary's always a loner. Ash always has a friend with him. I think there was a thing where like everyone just loved Gary. Ash was the underdog. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's correct. Remind me to go on my rant about uh, Pokemon as a capitalist dystopia sometime. He <laughs> has a medical problem. Huh? This kid has a shiny medical problem. Yeah. <laughs> he should have that removed. <laughs> Gonna get that looked up. That's a bad time to start hallucinating. Hell of an ending. Very <laughs> perfect blue. So who here has actually watched the whole series? Anybody? I I have, but it's been a while. I don't remember it very well. Yeah. He just has visions and portents of things that might happen. Who, uh, Ben? Yeah, Ben. So his <laughs> understanding of the rest of the show is a very dream logic <laughs> right. you know. He planned all this. Scriveling on the sidewalk yeah. of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seven. Mm-hmm. Seven. <laughs> Okay, we got seven to work with. Um, so, Blixa, you're watching these fresh with us. So, mm-hmm. any, any initial reactions to this episode? Hard to know what's real. Mm-hmm. Accurate. My suspicion right now is that Golden Bat is not a person, is maybe like an entity or people's intention or evil or something that like incarnates. Hmm. Now, there's something there, I think. Not like I'm, you know, not giving out information or anything, but like Golden Bat is definitely a like cultural force that's happening because it's even if it is just a kid with a bat, the story is like becoming a phenomenon, especially Mm -hmm. with every new victim. It becomes more all encompassing to the public. So I'm having trouble recalling the first episode now. This one, it felt like the boy's imagination was correlating with the arrival of Golden Bat. Yes. And I felt like there was something like that in the first episode, but now it eludes me. Yeah. There was the the pressure from the artist was escalating. Yeah. So the first time it shows up, she's having a really bad day. She like drops oh. her stuff and falls, drops under the car and rips her jacket. And that's when Golden Bat shows up. And then the second time is when the journalist is like hounding her. She drops her um, handkerchief or what, whatever, which we saw again in this episode when the detectives show up to talk to her. Okay, so that was the part I was missing. So the artist was the first to be attacked. Mm-hmm. Sukiko, yeah. And all the tension of being interrogated and hounded was only uh, escalating her like anxiety and like the stress over the affair. Yes. Okay, that, that's what I needed. <laughs> yeah, um, but you touched on there's a, an interesting parallel, which I think we'll find. I've only watched one more episode, episode three so far, but I think we're going to find this continued uh, structural theme in that there will be two victims per episode. Two people will get hit in the head with a bat, right? And they are always connected. Yeah, there, mm. there's some sort of mirroring between these victims. So like... In the first episode, it's not like super obvious, but like the journalist, the tabloid reporter, he is known to be like sleazy and maybe a liar, a conniver, right? Mm -hmm. And then Sukiko, 
we don't experience her that way, but there's at least a contingent of people online that mm. think she's a fucking liar. And we have that, uh, didn't one of you say that Sagi yeah. kind of means like untrustworthy? Like swindler, swindle or like a um, scam or something like that. Yeah. And then in this one, we have Ichi, who's like, he's not exactly being bullied, but like there's a lot in, he has in common with Ushi, but he refuses to see that he has yeah. those things in common. Well, and also like one of the victims is always someone who is annoying our main character in that episode. Ah. So, like, you have your artist, the journalist who is pestering her and hounding her is the next victim. You have your whiz kid, the kid that is, like, to him, his downfall is the next victim. Interesting. And granted, like, they kind of switch places as to who sure. gets yeah. hit when, but there's always some sort of, it's always whoever is antagonizing our main character of the episode is... A victim. Interesting. Another um, parallel when I when you're talking about episode one that I hadn't realized before is so so the journalist also he's under pressure. He has this (sighs) hospital bills to pay, and he like needs his next story to be really big. So he's like facing a very similar pressure that that she is. Interesting. And then Ichi and Ushi, both of them in this, the election is coming up, Mm -hmm. which they're like excited about, but it is a big looming thing in their future especially when you're that age oh yeah when you're like sixth grade you're running for like something like that like that's a huge thing it may not seem to adults and us as viewers like man that's not the biggest thing in the world but like for you as a sixth grader that's an all-encompassing thing absolutely okay so our show's called paranoia agent and like Mm -hmm. ichi's paranoia in this episode was pretty obvious i don't recall any themes of paranoia in the first episode Maybe maybe when she's looking online and she starts seeing all of the yeah, um, it's sort of like that perfect blue thing where she's there in her apartment and then like you know reading all these people talking shit about her and then I think when the journalist guy starts chasing her, I think she gets a little spooked too and she's okay. like running and and I guess with the the homeless lady too, she gets like spooked when she's walking around the ah uh, yeah street at night a couple times. I mean, there also could be like self-paranoia too. Like she's under this deadline and like Mm. paranoia might be a strong word for it, but like. And she thinks all of her colleagues are like talking shit about her her and and, like, yeah, yeah, not supporting her. And yeah, absolutely. The, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the second part of the title agent, right? Like the show does have something. I haven't quite figured out everything about it, obviously, but like it has something to say about agency because like, These characters being assaulted, you know, ostensibly they're just victims. It's just a bad thing for them. But in a way, Sukiko asks for a miracle in the first episode. She's facing this deadline of coming up with a new character. And then she gets hit in the head with a bat. And that kind of pushes that deadline to the side. And then in this one, Ichi, he needs his nemesis to be, you know, put out of commission And he kind of wishes for that internally. And that's when Shonen Bat shows up. Like, it's really wonderfully done because he's like alone in his thoughts walking along with Ushi. And he doesn't even notice that Shonen Bat shows up until he sees him like doing the deed. So Ichi also had this active imagination and kind of needed something to make him sympathetic. And now he's a victim of Golden Bat. (laughs) Absolutely. It's real convenient. 
you know, it's a weird thing, but people are getting what they ask for in a way. Isn't that like a curse? Like, may you get what you wish for? Yeah. Where did I hear may you that? get exactly what you wish for. Uh, well, it just reminds me of may you live in interesting times, mm. which sounds like a great thing, but really it means like a bunch of turmoil and, you mm. know, societal change. Okay, so Ichi is a sixth grader. He's kind of this golden boy, or at least he thinks he is. This is like my other question. Hmm. Like we see throughout the episode, like how detached from reality he is. And so like in this opening scene with him of like being heralded by his peers and being awesome at everything, how much of that is in his head and how much of that is real? Right. Like, and I mean, he may, he, he has the grades to back it up and he is on the team, but like how many people are actually stopping him on the sidewalk and going, yeah, kid, you're awesome. Yes. I agree with that. And maybe this is sort of like, it's the first thing that he sort of can't deny that's sort of like evidence against this view of himself that he's like built up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we do get at the end of the episode, we'll get there, but he does have that tape at least of everyone being impressed by his, uh, Baseball abilities. Yeah, he's still watching. He's still the one watching it, being like, "You're the best." <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. I mean, we feel people cheering for like, but like they're just spectators <laughs> at a baseball game. Like, <laughs> well, I love that scene because it's like it's like a forty year old high school quarterback, you know, <laughs> watching his. But he hasn't even like hit his prime yet. It's fascinating. So yeah, he's got this golden boy mentality. Um, he's running for class president, but because of his golden skates and his penchant for baseball, there may be a rumor flying around. And who knows if this is really happening or if like he's making it out to be bigger than it is, because um, I don't think we get any uh, get the thing in his locker being like you're shunning bad. Oh, okay. His locker. Okay. That makes sense. Well, and so here's my other thing. And this is why, like, you know, I, again, I've only watched like the episodes that we've watched, which is like the first three. So I, I've not watched ahead. I don't know what's going on, but like, you never see anyone do those things. Like the stuff is in his locker. The, the stuff is written on his desk and like the stuff is written on the poster and the stuff, like his model is broken at the end. But you never actually see anyone do it. And he's so detached from reality. Like, hmm. uh, interesting. How much, this, how much of this is something that, like, he might be manifesting himself versus, and I might be, like, getting too, like, it may just be kids are bullying him. But, like, every time he thinks that people are talking about him, how much of it is him and how much are they really talking about him? Like, he walks into a room and some girls stop talking. Yeah, they may have been talking about something they didn't want a boy to hear about. It doesn't necessarily mean it's about him but he makes it about him. Mm -hmm. Ben, do you know the answer? Yeah, I don't know if there is an answer. I I think the way (sighs) I saw it is is like, you know, this he's sort of unraveling throughout this episode. So I think he's definitely like a huge narcissist and maybe like, you know, yeah, very imaginative. Um, But then I think there there is this real rumor about him but then he starts spiraling, right? And, you know, I think the stuff about like thinking that Ushi is behind it seems... You know, like clearly that's just something his brain connects the dots and that's like Mm -hmm. his own like, I don't know, like fat phobia and like (laughs) stuff where he's just like this fat, poor kid from the country. There's no way people can like him more than me. And yeah, no evidence that anybody likes him more than (laughs) that's the thing. And I just love that. But like, he's so he much more likable. This... Yeah, right. I think they really do because she's just a nice guy, and like he's just yeah. 
thinks he's better than everyone, so everyone probably hates him. Yeah. So enter Ushi or Shoujo Ushiyama, who is this overweight kid from the country. He just transferred schools and he seems to be everything that Ichi isn't. He doesn't seem to be performative. He seems to have trouble with physical activities, but he just like gets along with people. He offers to help carrying papers and stuff. He seems to be a real stand-up guy. Um, and we see that like there's a lot of mirroring between these two characters. The the most stark one I thought was their class projects. There's like a little Godzilla model someone made and uh, a couple of other things. But Ichi has made this Gundam model that kind of just looks like it was, you know, a kit from a store. Mm-hmm. But it looks really good. And the the it's titled Robo A, which I thought was really cute because it looks like the original Gundam, but it has the Turn A crest from, mm-hmm. from Turn A Gundam. And then Robo A was kind of evocative of like, Mazinger Z, because all the the robots in that had different letter derivations. We just can't escape mechs, no matter what. Uh, no, we absolutely do. not. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ushi's project was this almost life size palm tree, which was like definitely done by hand and from scratch. Uh, it wasn't like a kid or anything. It didn't have anything to do with pop culture. It, it was a very different kind of project. But both of them are very impressive to look at. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it means anything or not, but like I did think Turn A Gundam when I saw that. And Turn A is considered like like the artsy installment in the Gundam series. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So maybe the one that Satoshi Kon likes. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> So, but inside the classroom, uh, oh, and we get that mirror of Ichi has a like headshot style. Most of the kids do, but he has a headshot style campaign poster and Ushi just has a hand-drawn poster, but it uh, it's so sweet looking. But the really cool thing is by the end of the episode, Ichi's is graffitied so badly, it looks like a hand-drawn poster. <gasps> uh... Okay. And another thing that I noticed in rewatching it this time is you never see Ichi's father, but when Ushi is in the hospital, both his parents are there. Oh, yeah. And so it just sort of seems like every time you're at Ichi's house, it is tutoring. It is his helicopter mom. Like, is everything okay? Blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, she's like standing up for him of like, my son would never, my son is being bullied, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know, even just like the five seconds we get of Ushi's parents in the hospital, it seems like a much more loving, grounded relationship or home life. Yeah, I I think there's a really good moment when he's with his tutor and the tutor's saying like, oh, you're like getting bullied and he really like downplays it. He's like, no, I'm not getting bullied. And then just like describes getting bullied. Bullying? It's not that. I'm just being ignored. They gossip and they keep staring at me with mean looks. And then, you know, she's like, oh, does your mom know about this? And the mom comes up and like, he's like, be quiet. Like he doesn't want to to share this with his mom. And I do think maybe part of his narcissism or something is like he feels this like pressure to succeed and make his mom proud, maybe in part because of the absent father or something like that. Well, yeah. and then the other thing is, is like Ichi has said that he's he gets good grades. And, you know, I believe that because that is something empirical. That is some data that is there. So 
it's just interesting that he has a private tutor and he's already getting very good grades. Mm -hmm. And so like that also is to me, like in a household, that's a pressure thing because like I only had tutors growing up when I was failing something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you have straight A's. You're still sitting with your private tutor Mm -hmm. once a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. His Uh, private tutor who he thinks just because she's nice to him, she likes him. Yeah. I also love that. Yeah. So we've got our, our conflict, even though there isn't like a real conflict between Ichi and Ushi, other than that, they're running for the same position. Ichi has definitely made up in his head that Ushi is his his rival, his nemesis. We do check in with uh, Sukiko, Sagi, and the detectives because they have they got her handkerchief from the reporter mm-hmm. and are returning it to her and asking, like, do you remember anything else? You and this other guy are the only victims, so is it possible that you know the attacker? But she doesn't have anything for them. In fact, she's happy to have her handkerchief back because it has the Maromi stamp on it. So that means it's special to her. But all she does is ask after the reporter. She's like, is he okay? Uh, She does it in an amazing way, though. Oh, my gosh. So good. First of all, I have the note. So much feminist rage over this detective not believing the victim because like the older detective is like, are you sure that's what happened? Mm -hmm. I don't really know. Blah, 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 blah. And then like. He gets down and starts talking to her little plushie and is like, did you see anything? You were there. <laughs> she sits there for a second and she just goes, is he brain damage? Is he okay? <laughs> and like, I was like, oh, burn. But then like, she's like, no, I'm talking about the other victim. Is he okay? And I'm like, that's really funny though. Yeah, it's great. Mm. It is an interesting question to ask. <laughs> is he brain damaged? Does he remember what happened? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so... They already suspect an elementary school kid. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they have just asked her, like, do you know any elementary school boys? I mean, Are I you running around with them boys? But I think no. it might be like a hard, <laughs> I think it also might be a hard thing to pinpoint. Like like, they, like, there's maybe a shitty kid in the neighborhood or something. She has created this, like, and for best, like, the only best way I can reference is Hello Kitty. She's created this Hello Kitty character. And so you have to imagine as the artist of this amazing character that is super popular, she's probably gone to cons or whatever. She has fans or something, probably. Oh. So asking, like, do you know any, like, middle schoolers? She's probably come in contact with a mm. lot of them. Yeah, that's mm. true. And so I don't that. know that it's a great question to that would really narrow it down because so many people know who she is in that age bracket. Mm. I mean, we even get the thing. I mean, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but we even get the thing where like her little plushie is talking to her and she's like, don't, don't I know that kid that got attacked? And her plushie's like, no, you don't. Why would you know them? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't think about it. You're thinking about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about don't it. Don't think about it. Yeah, it's Shonen like, Bat's fault. Well, that's a little bit weird, right? Like, so is that like trying to see like the possibility that maybe she attacked these kids or something like that? That's my theory. Maybe. <gasps> my theory what? is that it's the artist. Oh, that it is her? Yes. That she staged the first attack and now she's- Because she was under pressure. Going out at night and- <laughs> It's like a staging type thing or if it is like a- manifestation alternate personality whatever whatever Mm. but like she's like don't i remember and i i can't really glean i guess she's talking about ushi when it's like so what's the space hadn't gotten attacked yet yeah i think so and she's like but don't i know that kid and like the flesh is like no why would you know that kid Mm. you know this is one of those occasions where like knowing the writer director's other work doesn't actually help (laughs) right (laughs) you know there's nothing metaphysical 
in Millennium Actress. We don't even know for certain there's anything supernatural happening in Perfect Blue. Yeah. Like Tokyo Godfathers. It's only like circumstantially, mm-hmm. you know, spooky. And then um, uh, Paprika, it's, just, it's a technologically based thing that is odd. Well, it's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I think this is dreams, too. There's a lot of blending reality, right? Like we asked, like, what's real and what's not? Well, I think it's all real, but it depends who it is real to. Like there is a physical reality that we're all kind of sharing, but like our psychosis is real to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we meet Harumi Chono, who is uh, Ichi's tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get this scene of, we get this scene where Ichi kind of accuses Ushi outside of the school. And he's just planning, I'm going to, you know, make this kid piss his pants. I'm going to strong arm him. He's going to, he's going to confess everything because he's so scared. But instead it completely backfires. And some unknown person, interesting that, We didn't see who defaced his desk. We also don't see who takes the pictures of him bullying Ushi or sends them to the class. Right. Um, So again, like maybe Tsukiko Sagi is perpetuating these attacks. Well, maybe Ichi is sabotaging himself. Right. Because each time he goes into his paranoia, we get this dark cloud that surrounds him where he's like completely alone in his psychosis, maybe even like hiding things from himself. No, Ichi can't be the one responsible for the pictures and distributing them. Oh, well, yeah, the pictures, I mean, I it's interesting that you don't know who took yeah. the pictures because yeah, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, the reporter is still in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's like a, another student, right? Because they get yeah. sent to all his classmates. I mean, that was like the one thing where I'm like, was Ushi in on this? Like, <laughs> mm. But Ushi know? immediately stands up in the middle yeah. of class and is like, who's doing this? Which is another like point in his camp because like he just got bullied by Ichi. Ichi just cornered him mm. and almost beat the crap out a of him. too good Being... almost. <laughs> he is a little too good. He's a little too great. Because whether Ushi realizes it or not, he stands up and he stands up for Ichi but the way he does it makes Ichi feel small. Right. Mm. Like he doesn't have control of the situation, which he obviously doesn't. But he's, again, projecting those emotions onto Ushi. Okay. So so then they're walking home together. Um, we have Ushi carrying the palm tree. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but Ichi starts sort of like fantasizing about catching Shonen Bat and, mm-hmm. and, you know, then returning to glory once his name is cleared. And while he's fantasizing, that's when Ushi gets attacked, right? Yeah. And at the end of the attack, though, Little Slugger is the only way I can remember it because that's what was in the dub first mm-hmm. time we watched originally. He does the side stop on the skates just like Ichi does. Mm-hmm. And when Ichi looks up, it's him. Mm-hmm. It even does like the little like... So it's just interesting that he just doesn't actually get a look at the attacker, but the attacker mimics his style up until looking exactly like him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, like I mentioned in the second episode, she has the crutches when the journalist gets attacked. Now we mm-hmm. have this palm tree that I think could also be potentially like a weapon. Um, so he sort of like spaces out or, you know, dissociates and then... Ushi's been hit and like mm-hmm. 
I don't know. He's the the only witness there. If it's Ushi, like then he was also a part of attacking this artist and the reporter. That doesn't make sense. Or if, if, if it's Ichi, you're saying, or or either kid, whoever. But yeah. that's why I think it's the artist, though. This also <laughs> po- uh, pokes a hole in my like entity theory because like the phone thing was real and happened. Mm-hmm. Like the entity theory depends on like capitalizing off of the energy of like our person, but like that wasn't the s- circumstances with the phone incident. Is this the episode where? The plushie physically turns off the TV because she was watching the news. Oh gosh, I think that's the next episode. I'm sorry. I think yeah, so too. I can't remember. Well, yeah, I'm I'm interested in that, Blixa. I'm also interested in maybe like just because something is a manifestation, an entity, doesn't mean it can't have a physical host, right? It's a tulpa. Like there could be a real flesh and blood person who is embodying these this cultural phenomenon. Okay. To answer the question of like, well, if it's Ichi, does that mean Ichi? Does that mean like he was responsible for the earlier attacks? I don't think it necessarily has to. I don't think the Shonen Bat has to be one person. Ah, interesting. I'm so confused. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the point, though. I think we're all supposed to be confused right now. Which yeah, is, which is part of a good mystery like this. Is like there's 15 people it could be right now. Yeah. So Ushi goes to the hospital. He's visited by his two loving parents. Uh, Ichi, uh, he like goes further within himself because now he thinks, oh, I'm like the only suspect now because it's my word against, you know, Ushi's not in a position to tell the police anything yet. He does have his birthday party, which only his mother and his tutor attend. He thinks the whole school is his adoring public, but he doesn't have one actual friend. That's really depressing. Mm. Well, and he has that fantasy sequence beforehand where he has like a room full of people. And I just noticed in this rewatch, I really think it's interesting because all of the presents that the fantasy people give, they're not toys. They're not things that a sixth grader would want. They're like an ornate chest and like an, <laughs> a great big vase and some flowers. And I was like, mm. what a weird thing for you to fantasize about. Like in your deepest fantasy of everyone sucking up to you, it's like video game treasure almost that they're giving mm-hmm. you as opposed to like things that you would actually get. It's interesting. Yeah. Um. So when he's at his lowest point, he goes into this depressive state where he's trying to relive his glory days of i assume a month ago so he holds up in his room he's re-watching this tape of him hitting a home run and then his mom comes to the door and says like hey are you gonna go to school today it's it's the day of the election and when he hears that it's the day of the election whether he realized it before or not that's like the last straw and he starts hallucinating and the scene becomes like a terrifying cartoon, right? Like, I know we're watching a cartoon, but it becomes exaggerated. Mm -hmm. He, like, you know, wanders out onto the street and everyone's a big-faced person who's staring at him. There's this palm tree in the distance, which is fascinating. Mm. And then it culminates with, you know, his greatest desire in the world right now is that people don't think he's shown in bat, and then he gets hit. The one thing that'll solve his problem. Yes, exactly. And honestly, it wasn't until we watched the next episode with the way this episode ends. I didn't even believe necessarily that he got hit because Mm. it just ends. We're still Mm. in the drawing style of this like manic episode. Mm. And like he starts like smiling when he sees the bat. And then the episode just kind of ends. 
And it's kind of interesting, like the first fantasy is like to catch the shonen bat. And by the time of the second fantasy, he doesn't even want to like try to like catch the guy catch to it. prove his innocence anymore. He just wants to get hit in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the mighty have fallen. Any last thoughts for this episode before we press on? Uh, I don't like that he believes the cops instantly when the cops are like, you're not a suspect. And he's like, yeah, the cops said I wasn't a suspect. Kids don't believe the cops. When yeah. They're like, you're not a suspect. That's true. You probably are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. We can queue up to a minute 30 in the episode so that we just save a little bit of time. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. We're all there. Mm-hmm. All right. Three, two, one, play. I don't understand why she answered that call. Absolutely. She's trying to like keep it secret. Well, I think because that was like her, it was her cell phone, not Maria's cell phone. And I don't know, as a tutor, maybe sometimes she gets Mm. numbers that she doesn't necessarily have saved. It Mm. seemed like she freaked out before she even answered the... Yeah, maybe. Mm. Yeah, but I agree with you, Ben. As soon as... The other person said, like, this is so-and-so you from Lips. Yeah, you wrong know, number. That was the wrong number. Yeah. Ooh, weird. Definitely not a secret hooker. Honey, don't you worry. So we start off with Maria. Uh, interestingly, you know, we, I think we kind of are supposed to assume that Harumi is the, I guess, original or base personality because she's so proper or or grounded. But we actually start the episode with Maria. And Maria, several times in the episode, says, I was here first. You're the fake. And Maria is most obviously happier with herself than Harumi is. Because Maria is like living her best life and and giving into the things she wants to do. Whereas Harumi seems to be stable, but fairly stagnant in her, uh, in her life. Hmm. So this episode, we start with Maria, but we have seen Harumi in the last episode. Yes, that's true. And we've seen this, uh, her first client in a previous episode too. It's this otaku guy. And I find it really fascinating that we start with him because we're watching an anime, but him and his, all of his anime girls, his statues, it really differentiates like, you know, this is anime, but it's a different genre of anime than what people might be used to when they hear the term anime. And I think it's really awesome that he finishes having sex with Maria and then he starts complimenting his statues because like Maria, to him at least, is just this vessel for his fantasies. He's not actually in his mind having sex with Maria. He's having sex with Whatever character. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's like, the first time we watched this, you thought it you thought Maria was a sex doll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, oh, what is this guy doing with his sex doll? And <laughs> yeah. then it was like, oh, she's a oh, she's a prostitute. Okay. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, is that a hotel? And then like he brought all these toys to the hotel or I think that, that was his, his apartment. That's his apartment. He just lives across mm-hmm. the street. Yeah, I think she does house calls, but uh I imagine the people that are doing it at a hotel are people who can't do it at their homes. Like the the one she meets at the hotel. He has kind of this big face and it looked a lot like the policeman who was being interviewed at the end of the episode. I think it is that same character. Okay. And I think from that preview at the end, he's going to be one of the characters in the next episode. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So Maria is a very 
successful prostitute. Uh, it sounds like she has a really good working relationship with her manager or whoever she's checking in with on the phone. Double lips. Double lips. But yeah, so she's she's very successful in her life and she shares a body with Harumi and they communicate to each other through phone messages, which I really thought was fascinating. Like, cause like, you know, unless you're in crisis, two personalities don't manifest at the same time. And so how can they communicate with each other? So they have two different phones because of Maria's line of work. Yeah. And there's this color dichotomy. Harumi's phone is white and Maria's phone is black. And we get a lot of black coating with Maria, like the first wig she, we see her in is black. Uh, she seems to be associated with these crows or ravens that we're seeing. And then Harumi, she has this white wedding dress. Even her fiance, he wears a white tuxedo to the uh, the photo shoot instead of the traditionally black tuxedo. So like we have all of this mm. uh, color coding to the yeah, two the of white them. swan as well when they're on the boat ride. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which isn't that a great shot where the white yes. swan gets replaced by the crow in the very next shot. Like mm. when it turns back to her, we don't see the swan anymore. What is this episode called? Double lips. Okay. So I guess the mean, the double meaning is like there's two different voices in this one life. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know. I'm on Maria's side through all of this <laughs> because like one, she seems to really enjoy her life. And then when we get to this, uh, we pretty quickly get to um, after we realize what the conceit of the episode is, we get Harumi talking to her therapist and the therapist assures her like Maria seems happy. Maria seems like she's ready to let go. But she really wants you to accept who you are. And then in the next scene, we actually get Maria saying like, oh, I'm quitting. It just seemed like the time. But Harumi does not make the same concessions or meet her halfway. Instead, she like as soon as she's like, oh, Maria's disappearing. Well, then I'll make her disappear. I'll get rid of all of her stuff. I simply thought that the impetus for that, though, was more so the engagement than I, I think that if the engagement hadn't happened, Harumi may have let Maria fade out as appropriate. But because she got engaged, that's when she started throwing Maria's shit away. Mm. And I think that it was, first of all, this engagement. <laughs> what? Mm. But I think it's just, oh, this guy is now going to be living with me and moving in with me. He definitely can't know about this. So mm -hmm. we got to speed this process yeah. up, mm -hmm. and, and, and that, which, of course, is the wrong move. And I guess that's our deadline. So we have sort of like the work deadlines in the first episode, the election in the second one. And now we have this like marriage. Right. And the doctor tells her to have this conversation with her partner, like explaining this stuff. And he's like, it's going to be hard to hide this from him once you're married and living together, but she does not clearly does not want to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think Maria is the base personality. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about the wording of the dialogue from the psychiatrist or therapist and like, it could be taken either way. Like Maria is ready to let go. Like when you have like alters, you know, it's can be viewed as like a familiar uh, thing. And maybe one of them, needs to be integrated or something mm -hmm. so like maybe the idea is maria is ready for harumi to diminish 
Mm-hmm. So maybe this is an attack response from Harumi then of like, oh, you're going to get rid of me. I'm getting rid of you. Because Maria is also the one who creates other personalities. Right. In her line of work, she's uh-huh. always someone different. Right. Mm. Harumi would be very convenient. So she's creating these personas for her clients. And maybe Harumi is a persona she created for herself. Because mm. part of her maybe does want to get married someday. Well, and also like we sort of had this conversation yesterday, but I also, and I don't, I don't think the show is going to give us this and I don't necessarily need this, but I just wonder like from my understanding of DID is normally there's like some trauma in the past, maybe some inciting incident, whatever. But when we meet this character, she has been in therapy for however long she has an established therapist. One alter is ready to let go, whatever that means. Like, So we're very far in this process. And so I'm just, I'm so curious about her backstory Mm -hmm. of like, what happened? What, what are, what, what happened earlier that like got us to this point? Mm. Yeah. I imagine that that's going to be a running theme. Cause like, I wanted to know more about Ichi's past too. Um, And Tsukiko, we get these like glimpses into their past, but we don't get any hard evidence that they were a different person or, or, or how they acted before the episode started. So if I were to hazard a guess, I don't think we'll get any of that information. Oh yeah, I don't think we will yeah. either. I just, as a viewer, I'm like, what? what is your backstory? <laughs> but I think that's to the credit of the show and the creators is that it makes us want it so badly that we're going to create that reality in our own heads. We can't help but do it because our brain wants to fill in those gaps. Yeah, I, I did like the thing you pointed out. I hadn't noticed that about... Um... Maria and like all the different characters that she's playing. And so we have, you know, this character creator in episode one, but like, yeah, Maria is sort of like a character creator herself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could also argue that Ichi has created a character for himself as well, mm-hmm. because like <laughs> in his head, he is this wonder boy of baseball and school and whatever. And like, mm-hmm. is that true? Yeah, yeah. And and then I think he also creates a character out of Ushi, right? Like he yeah. comes up with like, oh, he's this villain who's trying to do all this stuff. So they're all they all do share that trait or that uh Right. Mm. So the problem in the episode is this fiance. He's a problem regardless, because who are you? <laughs> he's a menace to society. Uh get out of here. Isn't he her superior? Yes, yes, he is. Okay. The whole thing, I don't know if this is common in Japanese society or or societies around the globe, but like that whole thing seems very unhealthy to me. Yeah. Uh disparity of power, that's unethical. And now I'm thinking what if Maria is protecting them? Right. Like by trying to the marriage can't happen. Yeah. I I think that that's supposed to play as like a cute love story. I mean, he is like very repressed but i think Mm -hmm. the harumi character is like like i think they're sort of like on the same wavelength as being just like these very like stoic stable do the thing you're supposed to do kind of people and you know he gets her the nice necklace he takes her on the fucking fuck that necklace he's her boss The necklace is a bad idea. She She cannot have true consent in that dynamic okay i mean like that's like a conversation we started having and what like I mean, like, I feel like at least publicly, like 2015 or something like that. I don't know. 
I give no fucks. Sure, sure. This guy's bad. Well, it's sure, just also, sure. like even even if there is no like power dynamic, the whole thing. And I mean, maybe again, maybe it's an American culture thing. But like he calls her by her last name to get her attention, which I don't remember. But he's like, Miss So-and-so, do you want to get married? Like, there's nothing like we've never seen them have a conversation. He doesn't even call her by her first name. It's just, do you want to get married? Sure. And we actually don't even hear her answer. It just. Yes, that's a very deliberate choice. Which you don't hear her say yes. Which is also a Shakespeare thing. Once women get married in the comedies, they do not speak anymore. Oh, (gasps) they lose their agency. They They become part of their partner, right? It's the worst. Yeah. I'm angry now. Yeah, at Shakespeare, absolutely. Uh, I work for a Shakespeare company. I'm always angry at him. Don't worry. <laughs> oh my god. But anyways, there's a stressor event in all of these episodes and all the lives of the main characters, uh, and this wedding, especially moving in with this guy, that's the main stressor. Yeah, it, and and you know now I'm like a little more sympathetic. Like maybe she does sort of want to like get out of the wedding, right? She at least mm-hmm. doesn't want to have the conversation with him, but maybe that's just, I guess I was interpreting it before as like, she's afraid of him finding out mm-hmm. or like hating her if he finds out. Yeah, and I guess like she, what if she loses her job because of uh, her mental condition? Yeah. Ah. Like, I mean, honestly, but like, I also don't know, again, maybe it's a culture thing, but I almost sort of expect her to quit her job once they get married. Mm. Mm. As far as tutoring and stuff goes, like I kind of expect her to, with as traditional, quote unquote, as this all seems, mm-hmm. like to me, she'd quit and be a house mom. Yeah. yeah and that's that's kind of lame, too, right? Like the mom, we never saw her go off to work. Mm-hmm. The dad went off to work, even though the mom was, I can't remember how we figured out, but in the lore somewhere, the mom was a programmer. Mm-hmm. But she either did her work from home or she did not work anymore after they got married. Yeah, there, there. You're talking about serial experiments, Lane. The yeah series we watched in the last last season. Um, I forget what I was gonna say. You were gonna say Maria's the real one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Maria's regardless of who's the real one, they both inhabit this body, and they both, on some level, have a right to exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, if I manifested a different personality, you know, I might feel differently in the moment once it's happened. But like that other personality has just as much a right to exist as I do, as I feel right now. It's still you. Yes, exactly. Like it's a different part of me or a different facet. But um, Harumi again and again refuses to acknowledge and collaborate with Maria. Mm -hmm. She refuses to have the conversation with her fiance that like, look, this may not be a thing in the future, but for right now, you don't know all that I'm doing because there is this other person that has access to my body, essentially, which is so interesting that Maria is a is a prostitute because like a sex worker, because, you know, Maria and uh, Harumi are sharing access to her body, just like Maria's clients are mm-hmm. sharing access to her body. But whereas Maria's clients, it's an above board arrangement. You know, there's a give and take to it. They have conversations about it. It's all on a conscious level. Maria and Harumi, it's not all above board. They're not communicating. And that's what's causing the imbalance between the two of them. Also, you don't know your fiance could be into that. 
Oh, absolutely. She should <laughs> like, totally keep those outfits, right? Right. Like, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, be like, look, here's the deal. And like her fiance could be like, sweet. This is yeah. dope. I got some sick stuff I want to look at. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's some level of consent before the marriage proposal because mm-hmm. Maria occupies part of Harumi's closet space. Mm-hmm. Right. And like she knows and it's just living with it. Like they have two phones and two phone accounts. Like there's some kind of arrangement that was functional. Yeah. And then there's this inciting incident where it all breaks down. Mm-hmm. And again, it looks like this was going to wind down naturally because mm-hmm. like the therapist is like Maria's ready to let go. And there is sort of like the phone messages towards the middle of the episode, the phone messages that they leave each other starts to diminish. There's one point where Harumi checks the answering machine and there's nothing. And that's the first time there hasn't been a voice message. And like, it just kind of seems like if this proposal hadn't happened, the two may have had a healthy whatever. Mm -hmm. Marriage ruins everything is basically the point of this. Mm -hmm. The employer. I blame the employer. Mm -hmm. What's his name? I'm just going to call him Fucko. Maria and Harumi don't even know what his name is. (laughs) Yeah, we decided all the way back in Franks that forever promises are a bad idea. So so something that has come up every episode is trash bags. Mm -hmm. The first episode, we have the old lady reading through the trash bags. The second episode, we have him throwing away his skates. And then this episode, we have a couple time so right at the beginning we get a shot of crows on trash bags as she's leaving the hotel um we have Mm -hmm. her dumping her stuff harumi dumping maria's stuff in the dump then i guess transforming back into maria as she's doing it and then implied that maria has thrown away harumi's stuff and she kind of goes back to to claim it yes so what, what do we think is going on there like that's something you don't it's a fact of everyday life that you don't often see in animation. It's like a trash bag. So yeah. it feels like there's some deliberate choice to put that in here. Mm. So the only thing I can think of is that Satoshi Kon in his work, but very specifically in this series, there's a recontextualization of a lot of things. And so trash is normally you know, off to the side or you don't even think about it, but like what's being thrown away. The, it, in Ichi's case, it's his skates. That's like a big part of his personality. <laughs> He's got these gold skates and this gold hat and that's his thing. That's how people know him. Mm. And now in this episode, we have Harumi throwing away all of Maria's stuff. It's not trash, but she's treating it like trash. So like, I, I don't know. It's there's kind of that like what one man's trash is another man's treasure, but it's like what part of your personality are you willing to throw away so that the public or your classmates or your fiance doesn't know what you're doing? And this may not be anything either, but uh, all of the trash bags are opaque except for the ones that Ichi throws his skates away in. Mm. That's a clear trash Mm. bag. And I don't know, maybe that's just because so we at the audience can see that that's what he's throwing away. But I don't know, just the fact that like our assailant wears the same gold skates and the gold skates got thrown away in the clear bag. Mm. I think the other thing that I'm still like trying to figure out, though, too, is our old man. 
every equation or whatever he's had, the number has been associated with something. So the first number was the hotel room that the artist or not the hotel, the hospital room the artist was in. The second one was number one, which Ishii always thinks he's number one. This time what he's drawing, when it's not an equation anymore. And the one thing that we hear him say is like, oh, it's a butterfly. But there's, I, I looked and there's no butterfly imagery in here except for right, like um, where a commercial break yeah. would be. There was a field of butterflies. Yeah. Yes. And the butterflies we see are, uh, they have a black and white motif at the edge of their wings, similar to the Harumi and Maria motif that we're getting. They're monarch butterflies. Oh, monarch butterflies. The monarch. There's a whole king angle. Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Girlfriend? I I hadn't made that connection of that, (laughs) but I think that's probably another thing that's like intentional, right? The fact that there's two butterflies in this episode. And the, the old man, the things he's sketching, I wonder if that's like, those somehow correlate to the victims. Hmm. Cause like the last one is a butterfly and Harumi Maria is the last victim. Uh, but before it was like a frog, a fish and something else. Bird. Okay. So Chono means butterfly. Oh, Harumi Chono. Yeah. Oh, so that's her last name. Okay. Oh, okay. So I want to think Maria's the base personality as well, but Maria, it's so strange. Like everyone else has these, Japanese names, but Maria is is a very like Western name. Uh, I don't know if it is Maria her sex worker name. Is that it, not even like that personality's real name? Absolutely, could be. Um, but Maria is a derivation of Mary, and so Mary. There's a lot of mm. you know, at least in Christian Western culture, there is or Christian culture. There's a lot of weight to that name, both like Mary, the mother of God or whatever, but also uh, Mary Magdalene, Mm. who was a prostitute, a sex worker. Yeah. And we do have the we have the crucifix in that those wedding photos and stuff. (gasps) We do have some Christian stuff. Yeah, there's like this small minority Christian population. And yet, because of especially America's influence on Japan, there is this, you know, Christian uh, symbolism all throughout the country, or at least throughout their media. Fascinating. Mm. So who, who, uh, who hit Harumi slash Maria? Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's still but Shonen Bato. Do we even see Little Slugger in that scene? I don't it's the think fight so. scene. It's the fight club beating yourself up scene, but yes. I don't remember him actually coming and hitting her. Well, we hear the skates. Right. And then we get the shot. We get him, like his vision, seeing her as he comes up to hit her. So it's or as like, it comes up to hit it's her. It's like Ichi's where like in the middle of this like warped thing that we as because like Ichi's was like in a different drawing style and we didn't really see it so much happen and then hers it's like this fight club thing and we don't really see it happen okay so satoshi khan likes to play with the camera and we've already had like faceless camera operators well maybe we are shonen bato maybe we are little slugger right because like why are these people getting hit they're getting hit for us right our entertainment yeah so so i I just went back and rewatched. yeah so she's like in the middle of the fight she's kind of bent over tired she has a flashback of the kid saying, Shonen Bat set me free. Mm. Then, yeah, we see from his perspective, here are the skates coming up, and she comes up with that horrifying clown makeup on. Joker. Yeah, what um, the hell? Amazing. What, what's going on? <laughs> well, I think it's just because no alter at that point, I think, was in control of the body. And so I think it was 
Maria trying to get ready slash Hiromi trying to stop. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was because no altar was really in charge. Uh, it's like in between. It does sort of remind me of the lane stuff where it's like, it's already crazy. And then kind of when you're not expecting it, it just adds like one extra <laughs> level of unexpected. And you're just like, wait, what? And <laughs> like, it's a good technique. It's so good. Well, I'm so glad. I don't know how we landed on it, but I'm so glad we're doing these as kind of sister pieces, you know, uh, uh, exploring Lane and now exploring Paranoia Agent. Um, I don't know if I'm making something out of nothing. So Hiromi is the butterfly. In the last episode, the country boy was being referred to as a pig. And in the first episode, our artist was fixated on this dog mascot. What's with these animal themes? Yeah, U- Ushi literally means cow. Aww. Um, so he is explicitly <laughs> has an animal name. And then, yeah, our old man was like a frog, a fish, a bird, a butterfly. So like, so we've got like a lot of animals going on right now. Mm-hmm. What is that? What, what's that about? I don't know. A lot of fables have like animal <sighs> characters. Well, and again, mm-hmm. I don't know. So the other the other part about this is our artist is in every single one of these episodes, uh, our original victim. And what she works on and draws are animal characters. Oh. Hmm. Again, I also am probably making something out of nothing. No, I like like this. I like where we're going. (laughs) We end the episode back in her room with her watching TV and they say they arrested someone and she's like, oh. And then her little plushie turns off the TV and is like, can you please tell us the details of how you arrested the suspect? Well, I was... <gasps> You'll be late again if you don't hurry. Let's not pay attention to that. <laughs> the plushy like, show's over. They arrested someone. Stop watching. Yeah, just don't don't rock the boat. You're going to be late to work. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And don't trust artists ever. No, never. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I think where my mind is going, and I have watched this before, so I mean, like, is this spoilers or can I speculate? Come on, speculate. Bit? I need something. <laughs> speculate. <laughs> if it's spoilers, I'll well, cut so, it out. So I think, um, I I kind of think she faked it and like made up this story, and this is sort of like a story of like how a story takes on a life. Yeah, it takes on its own life, and you know, like I don't know, like she maybe she hit. The journalist or maybe he like added on to her story because he just needed a story right and then like you know shonen bat like he's using that as the excuse first to hit ushi but then he realizes that didn't really solve his problem but he realizes oh he can still use it to save himself and so the yeah. connection between the cases is the story right like the people don't actually know each other it's it's the story yeah and ichi does tell her he set me free and then we cut to this long fax from Maria. I said, it's like, I just want to be free. I just want to be free. I just want to be free. And yeah. like, that's an echo. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. there's no character so far that's just spine unconnected. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they know about the story of Golden Vat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a cultural touchstone. So, so then if like she did just like if she, and it, you know, maybe it seems like she's a little bit, the artist is a little bit unclear of what happened to her you know maybe she served associative or like in denial about what she did but now potentially someone's gotten like arrested as this person that like 
she made up, right? And her sort of like evil devil uh Tulpa, she drew a picture of Golden Bat for the detectives. <laughs> <gasps> I oh. love Tulpa so much. They're my favorite. Okay. Or also like Marumi, I feel like is sort of like the devil on her shoulder or something like that. And he's like, don't worry about yes. it. Someone got arrested for your lie, but like, don't pay attention. You don't know that kid. Why would you know that kid? Stop it. Oh, that's fascinating. Cause like in the first episode there, it ended, well, I don't know if it ended with, but towards the ending, there was this shot of uh, Lil Slugger's shadow and then Marumi, Marumi uh, in the head of the shadow. And I was like, That's what right. if Moromi and and Lil Slugger are the same thing? Well, not literally the same thing, but maybe they're both creations of Sukiko. Yeah. This is great. Oh my God. This show is yes. so good. Oh, this is so Satoshi Kon. Like <laughs> he talks about this shit, like dreaming something into existence and like that's like an ongoing theme in his work. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's the artist. She's believing things into existence she's making tulpas <laughs> and now it's in us because we watched it we're gonna get hit yeah we're gonna go out <laughs> on the streets with hockey sticks and now you will too listener oh. to the, street. <laughs> the revolution starts here get yourself some golden skates and just go have fun <laughs> okay so does anybody have any last thoughts for the episode or uh, on the series so far uh, before we call it a night? Speculation. Okay. Is there going to be an episode in the series where it's a nice thing <laughs> that manifests or is it all going to be like <laughs> dark desires? Well, I mean, everybody's getting what they wanted though. Like, yes, it's coming through this violent bat attack. But like everyone wishes for something and then Shonen Bat shows up and gives it to mm. them in a roundabout way. But everybody's getting what they wanted when they asked. Yeah, for but it. no one's going to be like, I really want a really good bowl of ramen and Golden Bat just like <laughs> yeah, right. smacks ramen into existence. That's not going to happen. Could be. Could be. You know, you mentioned that thing like, you know, may you get what you wish for. And, you know, I do wonder if we will get. <laughs> a follow-up with these characters later on and see like oh is ichi like back to his happy life actually or like like did these things actually solve their problems right. or are they just like feels like they're just getting a delay on it's just a pause i mean because like what's her face still has her artistic deadline she's still gonna have to like create something at some point Harumi still has to have a conversation with her fiance and Miriam yeah okay uh, maybe, maybe being a victim and... like does buy you some goodwill I don't know <laughs> yeah definitely that's why people play the victim that helps them get what they want yeah. there have been times in my life where I'm like man I really wish I could just get a cold this week so that I don't have to like go to work mm. or meet some deadline or I can put something off like I feel like that's like a fairly normal thing to like be like, man, I wish I kind of had like this one kind of little excuse so that I didn't have to do this, even though it's like, even though I'd be out with a cold. Mm. Yeah. So our working theory is that it's Shonen Bato by proxy because everybody's maybe making it up for themselves somehow. Like they've heard this story. That, that's, I think that's my working theory. I think Flick said it sounded like you think more like there is like a physical manifestation of this idea that's actually like hurting people. I mean, as physical as a tulpa could be. Mm -hmm. I think Satoshi Kone is I the didn't... tulpa. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I wasn't trying to put words in your mouth. I think maybe I just like explain again, like, like what a tulpa is. Let's have our guest do that. Oh, so yeah. So tulpas are kind of, uh, at least in my understanding and how I've always viewed them is uh, an idea is created. And then I guess in our sense, it would be uh, our artist created little slugger in her head, but it's become such a strong belief and such a strong thing and such a strong story. And eventually more people like the news media and our other victims believe in this thing so much that there is some physical manifestation of it. But again, like your view of physical manifestation, whether that is like an actual presence or probably the most pop culture noteworthy, what I consider a tulpa is Pennywise from It. I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the dancing clown. Hmm. You know, it takes the form of whatever the children think of. It takes that form. And that is the body within it, within which it has to work and operate. It is this sort of metaphysical thing that is grounded to reality, but it's whatever the person looking at it, thinking about it or whatever, it's whatever that reality is. So there are disciplines like to make your tulpa more real. Right. And I don't know where this series is going, but like uh, episode one, we have this artist. So there's ideation. Episode two, this kid who, with this overactive imagination. So that's like making something more fleshed out. And then in this episode, like, you know, the way alters work is like there's a partitions of your mind that are dedicated to this other expression. Like that's part of the foundation of Tulpa. Yeah. This is sort of neither here nor there, but the Pennywise reminded me then of that like sort of meme crossing over into real life where there are all those news stories for a while of like people dressed up as like clowns in the woods. Clowns? And... <laughs> that was interesting. That was, and then suddenly clowns were attacking people. Yeah, you can sort like... of imagine that's like a similar thing where it's like, well, once that story happens once, now all oh. these people can decide, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to put on a clown mask and like go into the woods and it like sort of is a story that becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah. That's why Maria's wearing clown makeup. <laughs> she's manifesting it. Oh my God. She was the first one. And then people watched this show and it leaked out. Yeah, that's amazing. Why? Why did that happen? God, what a simpler time though. Clowns running around. When we were just like, hey, clowns are running around scaring people. Okay, cool. And that was like the biggest thing we had to worry about at the time. It was great. There was there wasn't COVID yet. Was it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was the biggest thing we were aware we of. Were to, aware sure, of. Yeah. sure, yep. you're right. And and you know what you're aware of? That's your reality. <gasps> That's what manifests. Full circle. Mm -hmm. Manifest destiny. <laughs> beep beep, Richie. I didn't hear that. I didn't. I beg your pardon. Come on up, Richie. I got a balloon for you. <laughs> Don't you want a balloon? <laughs> Tanya, have you are you familiar with any other Satoshi Kon works? Uh, Perfect Blue. We watched Perfect Blue. So I know I really loved that movie. I thought that was a great movie. Um, so I think but I think that's it. Yeah, well, definitely you and I will watch the rest when we get a chance. Yeah. Well, I like yeah, them. I want to know what happens now. Absolutely. This is rare for me. Normally I come on the show, I watch one episode, one episode only, and then that's it. But now I'm like, I want to watch the rest of this. <laughs> okay. I don't know what's going okay. on. And I will say this is the first one that I've been on where I haven't been like, why isn't that girl wearing clothes? 
So this was refreshing for uh, me too, to be like, oh, we, all of the women are appropriately dressed and nothing weird or like fan servicey is happening. That's great. I it's love weird because I think we actually, like we had actual nudity in this one. So it's definitely the most nudity, but it was very like story appropriate, non-gratuitous. Yes. It was, di- it was diegetic. It was yeah. like, it, it was supposed to happen as opposed to like, I just landed on a on a roof from a parachute and here are my big boobs <laughs> and all this smell or whatever, whatever her, her, she was doing. I don't know. We just need to have Tanya back for like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Okay. Cool. If we ever cover that, we will definitely have her back. Have lots of like gay men rubbing their nipples on each other. Uh, see yeah yeah, as long as you turn the tables every once in a while i'm happy so we usually don't ask this of a guest but um like you'd you have given recommendations before in in previous guest spots um so i don't want to be redundant so if you had to speculate about where this show is going like how is how it's going to end what would you say so i again i think my working theory is either like sort of the tulpa issue that we talked about or i don't i don't think our artist is completely off the hook of being our main attacker she has popped up in every single episode even though like for instance this episode she has seemingly no connection Mm -hmm. we only get her at the end and it's her watching tv and they're like an attacker has been the suspect has been arrested and her little her little friend is like we are not watching that. Mm-hmm. I think it's really convenient that in the last episode, her little plushie, like she was like, I think I know that kid that was attacked. And her little plushie was like, no, you don't. You ju- you stop thinking about it. Those are some dangerous thoughts there. I think if she wasn't in any of the episodes anymore besides her original episode or whatever, and we weren't really looking through, like technically, I guess maybe her lens sometimes, like I, w- I would forget about her and let her off the hook of being our our main but she's she's some focal point Mm. something is happening with her and i i think we'll get a situation towards the end where it's a love actually situation where you watch all these vignettes and suddenly in the last episode it's like oh these are how they're all connected (laughs) all of these people somehow know each other solid prediction yeah and i think it's just the overall thing is stop forcing artists to work as capitalist this is what happens. Mm-hmm. They slowly go crazy and everything falls apart. And hate themselves. Yeah. Now now I kind of want it yeah. to be a Scooby-Doo thing and it's just the old homeless woman <laughs> all along. <laughs> you yeah. see a montage it's, it's old... of her like jumping out of trash bags and like beating everyone. With, like, <laughs> and the old homeless man is her husband. <laughs> oh, oh, the like they're the hospital. somehow connected. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he knows it's his estranged wife, but like he doesn't really have the mental facilities to say it. So he's like doing all this sketch work. <laughs> Trying to tell the detective. Yeah. And that's interesting. The old man, somehow he's a bit of an inciting incident because he gets struck by a car, presumably a car driven by the journalist um, before the series starts. And that does something to him in a similar way that these bat hits to the head are doing things to people in the show. Hmm. But I do like we have him as a harbinger. I yeah. Always, I always love a good harbinger. He's a good harbinger. He's telling us that things are going to come. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do this. I really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, are we ready? Yeah. Okay. Pen. Pen. Pals. The Romy. Romy.